This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. In the Dallas metropolitan area alone, Victor Calabresi competes with more than 300 other MSPs, let alone the rest of the IT providers across the world. The volume of players in his space, not just geographically, but online, and this goes for any SaaS company, any tech company in the world, is really, really getting to a point where you can call it an explosion, and that might be an understatement. I mean, there is just so many tech companies out there, which is actually really, really cool on one hand, because the opportunity has never been bigger for digital digitization and globalization and connectivity and the degree to which we're able to leverage tools and tech has just never been greater. I mean, there's literally a solution or tool or software for anything that you need, but the space has just become very complex, very busy, and very saturated as well. In 2017, Victor started his outsourced IT company called DeskSide after he helped two owners sell another MSP, which is managed service provider the year before. Since then, he has scaled his remotely distributed consulting company to dozens of employees around the globe, along with two physical locations in New Jersey and Texas. And I had him on the show to discuss how he grew, which he credits the fact that they were never cash poor to his success in scaling. And we also discuss key trends and learnings that he has had over his 25 plus year career in IT. So without further ado, here's our full 35 minute conversation. We discuss everything from starting and scaling a business to current IT trends to why most founders look at tech stacks all the wrong way, as well as Victor's new book, which is focused on accessing your true potential. And the biggest takeaway, I just want to throw this in before we hop in, biggest takeaway that I took from this great episode is that the best way to approach building your business and you know, even your your technology stack is really from a results-oriented perspective. So you want to be detached from what seems or sounds cool, but instead completely aligned with driving revenue and serving your customers. That's where the companies of the future will win. And that is what the core of our conversation really centers around. All right. Now we will jump right into the episode. And I think you guys will find a lot of value in this one. All right. All right, welcome back. We are back again with another episode of the Grow and Monetize podcast, guys. Today, I'm here with Victor Calabresi, president of DeskSide, which is a technology success partner that helps businesses with all their IT needs. Victor is a father of five and has recently written a book entitled Accessing Your True Potential, which is being released later this year. So we're going to get into that and uh, everything tech and IT as well. Victor, thanks for joining me today. Michael, thank you for having me. So we were just chatting a little bit off air. Um, for those that maybe aren't as aware, I know a lot of my listeners are content creators, marketers, and coaches. Um, give us a quick rundown about DeskSide and what it is that you guys do. Sure. So DeskSide is what we like to coin the, the evolution of the managed service provider. So for those of you that don't know what a managed service provider is, it's an outsourced IT department for small, medium businesses, right? 
Um, some businesses like to employ people, other businesses go out uh, down the road of outsourcing. Um, so that side is that outsource IT department. So we take care of everything from help desk all the way to infrastructure, architecture, anything and everything that is technology within the business. Um, we coin ourselves as a technology success partner because one of the big differences between um, our competitors and that side is that side really does more than just take care and put out fires, which is what the traditional MSP does. Um, we want to be part of the business. We want to be part of that C-level discussion about how technology can actually help uh, make efficiencies within the business or help solve problems, automate, um, um, make your staff better, make your company better. So that's what that side is. Cool, cool. Can you talk a little bit about the, um, the infrastructure and what your team looks like? Are you guys fully remote? Are you in office? How do you work? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. So um, I, I started Deathside after helping two owners sell another MSP back in 2016. And in 2016, we had a really big office. We actually had two offices, one in New York and one in uh, uh, here in Texas. Uh, and when I left that company and decided to start Deathside, I really wanted to stay outside the box. So even though it's like uh, now the COVID hit and everybody's working remotely and everything else, we actually started in 2017. Uh, Deathside has a fully remote company by design. Um, the reason for that is because I think we get better staff because the staff could be anywhere in, in, in the States or out of the States. Um, we have happier people. Um, the the, the work-life balance becomes better. It's a little bit of a challenge because um, it's not the same building of a culture that you have within four walls, right? So your, your culture kind of varies from person to person, place to place they live. Um, but it's a great challenge. So yeah, we're fully remote. Um, we have two offices, one in uh, Livingston, New Jersey, and one in McKinney, Texas. Um, but for the most part, all our employees are virtual. I got people in North Carolina. I got people in New York. I got people in New Jersey. I got people in, 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 uh, in Texas. I, I have uh, my administrative system is out of the Philippines. So I've got people everywhere. Yes, I love that. So I want to I hear more about your process from, I guess, uh, um, you know, ideation to launching the company. What was your goal when you launched? How's that changed up until now? And then how have you scaled to those two locations and uh, employees really all over the, the world? So um, I own five companies. So I will say that um, I, I cheated a little because um, especially not so much me that I own five companies, but my one of my co-founders is a serial entrepreneur. Like he's been starting companies since he came out of college, right? So and then he's he's uh, uh, 40 years old like myself. So he's been doing company after company after company. So we cheated a little. We knew what we were doing. We didn't make a lot of the mistakes. Um, when we came up with the plan for that side, you know, we had a full business plan in mind of what we wanted to make that side. A lot of the things we wanted to fix within the that whole managed services world. Um, we have stuck to it. We've been growing 40% year over year. And every time we hit our financial uh, markers, we go back to the plan and we're like, okay, what's the next thing that we're going to do? Is it, is it increasing our, our marketing? Is it increasing our personnel? Is it increasing our tech? Um, so we do have different uh, scale points. Um, and we, every time we get to that scale point, whatever that financial marker is, we go back to the book and we say, okay, at this point, we need to in increase staff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in terms of generating new clients, did you have a lot of those relationships before you guys launched the business? And what's your kind of what's your process of acquisition? What does that look like now? Yeah, so um, it, it was kind of tricky uh, because um, managed services is a very, very competitive market. Um, just to give uh, yourself and your listeners a, a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a scale in the Dallas Metroplex. So Dallas Fort Worth area, um, we have over 300 MSPs. 
that we compete against. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of companies, you know, because anybody that understands a little bit about computers and has one or two relationships can become a managed service provider all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So um, our thing was um, we, we weren't, we weren't cash poor, so that's that's a big difference. Because when I started one of my other businesses, we were cash poor. It was very very hard, right? Because it was a matter: of, am I going to take this home so I could pay the rent, or or am I going to put this back into the business? With yeah. that side, it was a lot easier because all the cash went into the business, and we never took anything. We just kept reinvesting, reinvesting, and growing the business. Um, so marketing efforts, our website, everything that most new entrepreneurs struggle through. Um, was relatively easy for us. We also have, you know, over 25 years of experience among us in, in, in growing these companies. So we knew the steps that were necessary to start. So um, when it came to just advertising and marketing, we knew what to do. Um, we had a lot of relationships. Um, so little by little by little, we just started scrutinizing those relationships and that's how the clients came on board. And then people start talking, this is a great company. They, we love them. They're not too traditional. And then the, the word gets out and they just start calling us. So what's your take on, on sort of, you know, blitz scaling a fast high level, you know, growth for a new, uh, particularly SaaS or tech company versus taking things slow, working out the bugs, um, really, really making sure that those first couple of clients are, um, smooth sailing. What's your, do you, do you fall on either side of that? Yeah, I, I actually, I actually fall on both sides of that and I'll explain what I mean by that. If you get to MVP, minimum viable product, okay, then you could scale as fast as you can see the future, right? So that's that's kind of, if you have enough experience to say, I can see five years into the future, how do I scale this business? Then go as fast, go as fast as you can. You got the cash to do it, absolutely do it. The mistake that most entrepreneurs make is they're not 100% with that MVP. They don't really understand what MVP is. They don't understand, like for instance, does the market even want what you have? right? If the market doesn't want what you have, or you may have the greatest product. And I've seen so many great products go to market and fail just because people weren't willing to pay what that product required, whether it's because it was early to market, it wasn't fully functioning, whatever the story may be, but the, the, the people out there weren't willing to pay for that product. And now you start trying to scale and all of a sudden you, you, you start throwing more money at something that you can't sell. So you have to be on both sides of that. You start off slow. You make sure you have that product. Um, another mistake is, is people try to layer in a lot of services or products all at once. You know, my big thing is get one right. Do one thing really good. Get something that people really want. And then as you start building, then you could say, oh, let's add this to it. Let's add uh, another uh, feature or let's add another product, whatever it is. But make sure you get one. And then when you get that one, then scale it as fast as you possibly can. Yeah, that's that's huge. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Um so, okay, I, I want to ask about uh, something else that you mentioned uh, to me earlier, um, this idea of channel or platform agnostic uh, tech and services. So in the marketing space, we talk a lot about channel agnostic, which means we can enable or show up and help our customers uh, access multiple channels no matter what, no matter when, in order to talk to their customers, right? Uh, you and your team are what you call vendor agnostic. So talk a little bit about what that actually means. Yeah, so that's, that's actually, I, I love that you brought that up because it's one of my pet peeves. One of, the, one of the, my burning desires when I started DeskSide was to actually counter what the mainstream MSP uh, market is doing. So the mainstream MSP market actually gets uh, really embedded with a specific vendor. For instance, they're a Microsoft shop. They're an IBM shop. 
they're a Cisco shop, right? So those specific, that's their firewall, that's their uh, uh, manufacturer of whatever uh, servers, and that's their gonna be um, their uh, cloud provider. And that's it. And they go to they go to market, they go to your client, and it doesn't matter if it's a five-person company, it doesn't matter if it's a 500-person company, you need Microsoft, right? I hate that. Um, and in the marketing world, it's the same thing. You know, you, you have so many different marketing channels, you have so many different platforms, and a lot of those uh, business owners get in bed with HubSpot and they're like, HubSpot's the best. And they start selling HubSpot to every single client. Well, HubSpot's expensive, man. You know, so why don't you go and look at other parts? So when when we created that side, we wanted to make sure that we were not that. I don't care if I make an extra point of margin, right? What I do care is that the right solution is in the hands of my clients. So Microsoft and Google, perfect example. They're both great products, right? They have both their pluses and minuses. I'm not going to go into any client and say, you need Microsoft just because I make two extra points on Microsoft because my volume of sales has increased, right? I'll go in there and say, well, are you looking for more of a browser-based experience or are you looking more for an app-based experience? That one answer will give me what I need to start down the road of you're a Microsoft or you're a Google. I do that with everything, every single uh, product, every single service we sell. Um, I want to make sure that we're selling the service that's best for that client. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, and you kind of you kind of alluded to this, you know, just now. Um, something that I've that I've been seeing and that that we've talked a lot about in in our content the last few years is this idea of marketers and you know tech leaders feeling pressure, feeling the need, feeling the desire to want to build these huge tech stacks with as many point tools as they can and as they think they need when in reality often more tech does not equal more productivity or efficiency but instead more risk or just more cumbersome processes to the business what's your take on tech and specifically the way that businesses need to be thinking about using various tools to achieve their end goal so i love this question um, because again it hits close to home a lot of people get get lost in the technology. They're they're like it's the next shiny toy, right? And it's like it doesn't matter what it does. If 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 you could use cryptocurrency in marketing in some way, ooh, let's do it. Well, does yeah. it make sense? <laughs> like, is it really? What what I tell people is we have to make sure that technology supports a problem or the people, right? So does it support your clients? Does it support your personnel? Does it really fix the problem that you have? You know, I I have a client right now that's looking at. Um, replacing their accounting package. And one of the big vendors came out and approached to the, the it was SAP, came out and approached them. And they're like, we think SAP is going to be the best thing. Well, why? You don't even know what the requirements are. You don't know what they're doing on a daily basis. You know, have we collected all the information to actually say, this is all the things that we actually need out of our package. This is the shortfalls that we have right now. This is all the pain points that my employees are going through. And that's kind of what I would tell, even with the marketing uh, uh, stack that, you, that you're uh, alluding to earlier, it's not a matter of whether you have all this technology. It's that, is it doing the service necessary for the client? Because the, the thing that I hate about marketing is when you spend a dollar that doesn't have an ROI. And when you start adding those tech stacks in there, you're actually increasing the cost and potentially decreasing the ROI. So if, if, if you're spending $1,000 a month and, and you're bringing back $5,000 a month and then you increase your tech stack to make that cost go up by let's say 500 bucks and you're only getting 500 bucks in return, right? So now you're 1500 with a $5,500 return. Is it really worth it? Yes, yes exactly. And 
sometimes, you know, it, it takes a process of trial and error, right, mm -hmm. to, to figure out what we actually are trying to solve for. And I want to get your take on this as well. But with so many, we're in the midst of this tech explosion, right? There's literally over 8,000 MarTech companies out there to provide either point needs or, you know, a lot of these companies, they call themselves platforms for, for business owners. Um, how in the world are entrepreneurs and owners and, you know, C-suite execs, anybody supposed to wrap their mind around, first of all, what they're actually trying to solve and then what, what can help them achieve that end goal? You know what I'm saying? So how do you think about just the sheer optionality that entrepreneurs have today when choosing tech? How should they do that? Well, yeah, and, 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 and again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Get away from the shiny toy syndrome, right? It's, it's not about that new tech or what that new tech is doing. It's all about the results. The right. entrepreneurs have to focus on the results. And it's kind of hard when they're first starting because, and that's one of the reasons why you got to start kind of slow, but it's hard when you're first starting. You bring a new product into market, you really don't have any results to go by. That's why you got to give it away for free or you got to you know, do certain things. But me, when I select anything, whether it's for my clients or myself, I get the results from other clients that that software has produced, right? When you have the results, then you can have a more educated decision on whether or not, right? Were the case studies that you're talking about or presented similar to the case that you have to solve, right? That's A. B, were the results similar to the goals you're trying to achieve? If those two things are in alignment, then you're probably looking at the right thing. But most entrepreneurs don't even look at that. A lot of times they're only looking at features or they're only looking at what it could do. They don't even look at, can it actually work within my operations currently? Right. Right. Yeah. And we, when we fall into shiny object syndrome, we start asking questions like, oh, this looks cool. Um, how could this, how could this add, you know, a wow factor for what I'm doing? Or how could this, how could this chatbot on my website, you know, enhance the, the user experience? Not necessarily a bad question or a bad uh, approach, right? But if it's return that you're looking to optimize for, then your entire strategy around IT and tech needs to be focus on creating an environment and an experience that centers around creating that that end goal right and you want to optimize for that not necessarily for what feels like a cool website experience those are things that you want to think about maybe in your secondary or tertiary you know uh phase of scaling and of your build yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and let's unravel that chatbot because that's a, that's, a, that's a great example, right? It's like that chatbot, when it's shown by a vendor, it looks amazing, man. Oh, man, that guy's answering all the questions. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to have anybody behind there. But one of the things that people fail to do because of the shiny toy, right? They don't look at the amount of work. To get a chatbot to actually work the way it's designed, it's a monumental undertaking. There is a, a, a database of questions and answers that you have to go through with your staff. And you got to sit there and program that thing in. And don't let anybody tell you that they already have a database because that's always you know, a, a load of crap. It's very specific to your business. What you want that chatbot to say has to be representative of your culture, has to be representative of a lot of different things. So you have to go through. So, And that's a discussion that nobody has. All they have is feature set, right? Oh, this thing could do this. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I actually want to dig into that a little bit too. So I'm going to ask you the flip side of that question. Uh, so in terms of features or cool things that you're that you're seeing in the marketplace, or maybe that your clients are 
are implementing on their websites uh, within their teams or for their solution set. Um, what are some trends that that are popping up uh, that you think companies should be thinking about implementing or incorporating if it does fit with their strategy? Are there any like low hanging fruits or just quick one offs that that are working really, really well right now? Oh yeah, there's a ton. In fact, that's one of the topics that I speak on. So one of the, uh, I do speaking engagements all over the country. And one of the things that I talk about all the time is, um, you know, what an IT department is, what IT technology is for a company. And then in between each one, I start talking through a couple of cool technologies. Um, one of the ones that comes right off to mind, um, you know, is security, right? Because security is huge. So MFA has become pretty much second nature. Everybody that's anybody, anybody that has a bank account knows what MFA is or multi-factor authentication, but there's different levels of MFA. Uh, one of the ones that um, we use here at Deskside because we are very, very um, serious about security is called the Yubicookie, right? So instead of having a um, text-based or email-based uh, code, uh, uh, secondary code, um, it's a physical device that has to be plugged into a computer in order to then authenticate that second time. So it's username, password, and then authentication hardware, right? So that's really cool piece of technology that I, I think every business, it's a cost um, thing and a training thing more than is needed. I think every business should do it, right? There's not a question that should do it. Um, the other one that comes to mind is uh, uh, the signature software. So we sell a signature software where it, you actually put it and hook it up to either Microsoft or Google, and you set up the signature the way you want it to show up for everything. So you brand it to the company, you don't have to worry about people having to copy and paste it into the signature, and it goes onto a cloud server. And no matter which device or where you send um, your email from, whether it's an iPhone, an Android, or from Mac mail, or if it's coming from the web, or if it's coming for whatever, it, when you send the email, it hits the server, it puts the signature according to the specific person that's sending it. So it will put the right title, the right name, the right phone number, and then it sends it off to the re recipient. Um, very cool because it gives people, you know, companies, um, that have you know multiple users control over that branding and and make sure that the signature is put in place every single time their URL is used to send an email. Hey, this is Michael. I'm popping in for 20 seconds here to challenge you to take the next step in your growth journey. I've helped over 40 business owners amplify their operation inside of my immersive one-on-one, -on -one, which is unlike any other coaching program out there. We'll be getting hands-on, doing content planning, script writing, ads optimization, customer mapping, and a lot more. So if it makes sense to chat, the link to schedule your call is in the description. All right, back to the show. So in terms of custom-built solutions, um, right, what what should companies expect and be thinking about when approaching their uh, their IT needs and and building that, building out that tech stack, working with a company like yours as opposed to just kind of going at things blindly or maybe internally with very low resources, one or two you know people that they're just diving in blindly to the deep end um, as opposed to really approaching things more creatively and strategically with a tech partner that can help. So let's unpack that because that, that, that's, a, that's a loaded question. So let's talk about custom solutions, right? Um, anything, when you put the word custom in front of anything, it means you have dedicated staff that's actually writing the stuff specific to the business. And I would tell you that 99% of the time, I would tell my clients stay away from it, okay? Anything that is custom is very expensive and it's very resource intensive in order to keep alive for the growth of the company, right? Even if you're using a platform and then customizing that platform, as that platform gets updated, as that platform changes, those customizations need to change with it. So for custom stuff, I would say stay away from it, right? 
when you're um, um, when you're changing logos and colors, that's okay. That's not a big deal. What I'm talking about is actually changing process features, feature sets, making things automated that aren't meant to be automated uh, within that platform. So that's one. The other side of that question was personnel and different types of support structures for your business, whether that's internal employees, um, outsourced companies. And what I have to say to that is that businesses have their stages, just like everyone else. You know, I would always tell them, find yourself a partner. Um, that supports your business at the size of your business. And that may be a single person at first, right? When you start a business, you may need someone to, can you set up my Google account? And that's it, you're kind of, kind of done, right? I could send emails, I have a website, you find a partner for that. As you grow, in-house IT kind of becomes very expensive and you become very risk, uh, um, there's a lot of risk that you're taking on because all your IT knowledge is with one person, right? That one person gets hit by a bus, God forbid, um, you know, your, your, your whole IT goes out the door with that person. Um, a outsource company, as long as it's the right one, then again, you would have to do your research because there's a lot of outsourced IT companies that are one-man shops. I mean, that's why there's 300 in the Dallas Metroplex. So you kind of are doing the same mistake, only that you're doing it with an outsource instead of an internal hire. That's, that's the only difference, right? So it's a cheaper version. So you have to do your due diligence, but every single one of those solutions is relevant for the size company you are, right? Because you can't afford a company like mine for, per se, if you're just starting. And then maybe when you get to a, a multi-million dollar enterprise, you know, in-house makes more sense, right? You, you have five, 10 people and it makes more sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, in terms of of optimizing for efficiency and and you know automation something that is is top of mind for a lot of business owners it's also a buzzword out there in the in the industry right now um, but something that i'm very focused on day to day um, helping helping clients incorporate automation at, at key levers key points within their operations to allow them to create that mechanization and repeatability where they can sort of take themselves out of processes at times. Um, how do you think about automation in your in your line of work and, and with your clients? Is that something that you also see as as an opportunity um, for, for growth? Well, absolutely. And, and automation efficiency uh, and, and, and efficiency drivers are, are, are two big things to what's the difference between an MSP and a TSP, right? Because one of the things I will tell you is most people do not have a clue how to automate stuff. They, they'll they sit there and again, they've got the shiny toy because everyone can look at Zapier and say, oh, let's do API hooks and I can do this to this. That's not automation. Automation starts from the business mentality and understanding the business and the business problems, the process, understanding the process, understanding the people. Like you have to have that kind of understanding. Like for instance, myself, I understand what a PL is. I understand what a balance sheet is. I understand how all these things actually drive profit for the business owners. You have to have that level of understanding before you start deciding what tools and what things to put in place to actually automate things. Because can you get things to happen automatically? Yeah, absolutely. Anybody can do that. Is it really automating the process? No, you may have made the process even worse. You may have taken a 20 minute process that's a manual process and making it into an hour just because it's got all these bells and whistles to it now, right? So you have to understand business. You have to make sure that the process is, is written out. Um, one of the examples I can give is uh, back early on in, in my career, I was a CIO for a $55 million a year construction company in the Northeast. And um, they had a um, homegrown or custom uh, piece of uh, software and they outgrew it. And they said, okay, Vic, it's time for us to get away from QuickBooks and to get away from this ERP that, that, that we kind of built and to go to something. 
for me to actually do that project, I had to sit there and I got this big roll of paper and I had it all around my office and wrote every single business process with arrows with a flow chart showing what every single piece of paper, how it moved, where it moved from, what system. I had. The whole current process was laid out. Once I understood that, then I could get system necessities, right? What are the needs that the system has to meet? Then I went out and looked at vendors. Then I brought the vendor on board. Then when I had this map on the board, it gave the programmers everything they needed to actually start customizing, not customizing at the point of actually customize, but actually making the changes within the system um, to make it work the way the processes work, right? So all that is something that people do not do. I don't care if it's a marketing activity, an operational activity, a financial activity, it's all the same. You have to understand the business, you have to understand what the end result should be, and then start plugging in the solutions. Yes, and I, I want to piggyback off of that as well from a customer experience and marketing perspective. Um, just the idea that, that you mentioned of really mapping out, you know, all of those key touch points or steps that either your prospective clients are taking in their in their journey up to purchase and then after they come into your business or or for you as a marketer or business owner um, in creating your own your own you know processes that you take internally. Um, and the reason that that is important, right, Victor, is because without that detail and depth of understanding, you're you're not going to be able to come in and actually say what pieces of tech are needed for me to to operationalize further, to add efficiencies, and then ultimately, which I mentioned earlier, what you're looking to do is to create a better business with easier flows, with easier processes, to then drive more more revenue and scale. That's why we're all here, right? Building, building our business. And uh, I use a tool for just for simple flowchart. Uh, it's called Funalytics. Um, I'm sure there are other, other tools out there like that that can enable you to, to track your processes. But just having that granular level of understanding about what you do, how you do it, what do those steps look like is, is such a critical piece of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one thing that as you're talking, it, it kind of sparked off another thing that's really important to mention. So it is really good for us to have a conversation around marketing or finance or, 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 or different bubbles within the company. But it's also very important to understand that when you bring on these professionals that specifically focus on an area of your business, let's say marketing, for instance, what the tools that they're going to bring in are going to be specific to marketing. There is a whole set of foundational software within businesses that is really important to get right, right? For instance, one of them um, is Active Directory or some sort of uh, uh, management system for username and passwords. A lot of businesses don't even know that that's important. But as you start scaling, this is super important. When it's one or two people, it's not a big deal. It's one or two people, you could kind of deal with it. But as you grow and you grow into 10, 15, 20, 100, 200 people, that um, um, uh, database of people is going to be not only important for what it does, but it's also going to be important of how it hooks into everything else. Imagine having to log in to 20 different systems, right? That's a pain in the neck. If you have SSO within those systems, real easy, right? You log in once, and then all of a sudden, the, the, the Microsoft AD or whatever you're using is doing all that work for you. So there is something to be said about understanding foundational software and then building on that so that you have all these great tools that you're talking about in order to start building on top of what you already have built. So it's really about getting the, the foundational actual, actual business and the the key processes that are going to empower you and your client's success in place before introducing layers of tech and new processes to sit on top of that. I, I really exactly. Agree. Yep. A great point. Um, I want to transition the conversation here as we close out to uh, to your book um, that you mentioned, accessing your true potential. 
I love this. Uh, this is a core value of mine um, in a couple passion projects that, that I've been working on. Um, talk about your approach to writing this book and where does your interest in accessing your highest potential as, as a human being, where does that stem from for you? Yeah, oh, you you have a gift of answer of giving these great questions that have so much around them. So, um, okay, so let's let's start at um, the the book itself. Access your potential. I wrote for my kids. I sat down one day and I realized that forty years old because I'm I'm an avid reader. So I've read over three hundred books in, in my life, and I realized that those books because every time I had some sort of problem in my life or so some some sort of challenge, I would go and find a book to read to kind of support me in in in, in that struggle. So. I sat down one day and I said, wow, if my children had to do what I did, it's going to take them 40 years to get to where I am. I, I said, I, there's got to be something I can do. So the whole purpose of that book is I sat down and wrote to my kids the four core principles that I learned from all this vastness of knowledge that will help them access their super, true potential. Because one of the things I realized is that, that most people have, and I'm sure you have, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners, as soon as I say this, are going to say, yeah, that's me. There's a little voice in your head that kind of tells you that you have done an awesome job. Like you're in a meeting and you say something and then you start thinking back and what you say, it's like, wow, I was amazing. Who was that? You know, who, who showed up? Why can't I be that person every single day? Or the opposite happens, right? You, you think you're on your roll, blah, blah, blah. And you start talking and all of a sudden it's like you, 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 you mess it up. And you're like, what happened? There is a methodology around why and when you have access to that true potential. And there's four core principles that I wrote in, in, in the book um, that help you not only access this, but continuously access. As long as you keep doing the things that I tell you in the book, you'll have access to that true potential. And then you start breaking limits, right? Because what you think you're capable of, I guarantee you, you are underestimating yourself a lot, right? Because what I've seen myself grow and where I thought I would be today as compared to where I am today is completely different. And every time I achieve a new level, I start saying, wow, I guess that's not my true potential. I think there's more. And I think right. there's more. And you just keep going. And so I sat down. I wrote it for my kids. Um, and it's uh, for anybody that's never written a book, um, it is hard. I mean, I, I've been writing this thing for three years. It's going to come out um, hopefully next month. It's, it's definitely before the end of the year. But it will be uh, on Audible. It will be on Amazon. Um, super excited about it. Uh, more so, this is one of those things. You talked about passion projects. That I want to see how many people I can actually help, not how much money I can make. Uh, you know, that's that's not the goal behind it. Um, and, and I've already had some people read it, and they're like, "Wow, this is really good. It's short. It's to the point. You can absolutely read it on a three-hour uh, plane ride." So, and that's what I wanted, right? I wanted that forty years of knowledge and just like that much chunks. Every chapter has all the books that I read that supported the the information within that chapter. So, if you want to expand your knowledge, let's say on nutrition or on fitness or on clarity of mind, there is different books that you could pick up. The books that taught me every Everything that I'm writing in the book. Can you give us a, a quick sneak peek? Do you have a favorite prong among those four that you mentioned that that really sticks out to you? Uh, oh man, there's so many great books. Uh, uh, you know, the, the the one that comes to mind. I'm actually going to um, uh, to my buddy Greg Brinkley has has having a um, man. I wish I wish I had it. If you look on my LinkedIn, I actually re responded on it. But he's having a, a seminar t tonight. Uh, Comerica Bank in, in, in Dallas. Um, his book is uh, uh, Pursuit of Growth uh, by Greg Brinkley. That's a really good one. Um, that gives you a lot of steps to what Greg did to actually help himself grow, um, to be very um, um, calculated in his actions. Um, so he's got 
every chapter discusses a specific topic around what needs to happen. He starts talking about smart goals and putting these things in place in order to make sure, you know, give yourself a date to make sure you get it done by that certain date. So um, that's a really good one. Um, another favorite is uh, Deep Nutrition. Um, if you're into um, health and fitness, um, that book changed my life when it came to food, right? And what it really is, how food is really medicine and you could use it to, to heal yourself. Um, there's just so many, I, I mean, go, go, go get the book. There is a lot of, of great books that, that, um, um, you'll read in there. You'll get into spirituality. You'll get into continuous learning. Um, you'll get into a lot of different things. Beautiful. Victor, this has been an amazing conversation. I hope to have you back. We can dive into both of these topics a little bit deeper. Um, but for people that want to learn more and check you out, where can they go to do so? Uh, the best place is LinkedIn. Um, and please, please, one of the things I tell everyone as I do these podcasts is don't hesitate. I will connect with you. I will talk to you. I'm not a salesy pitch guy. If you have a technology question, I would love to help you. Um, just ask me. That's, that's what I'm there for. Um, if I don't know, I'll find out. Um, but um, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Um, and then from there, you could find me on all social media channels. Perfect. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate your time. Great conversation today. All right, Michael. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey guys, if you found value in this episode, it would mean the world to me if you share it with a friend and on social media and be sure to tag me so that I can repost and please rate and review as everything helps so that I can get this knowledge to as many people as humanly possible. All right. I'll see you in the next episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I share in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the eAcademy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share all the things and hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you and that's it. I will see you in the next episode.